Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, meanwhile, back at the ranch? Right? And most of us have heard that. Meanwhile, back at the, I'm sure all of us have heard that. And you go, well, what is it? Well, that phrase, meanwhile, back at the ranch, well, it's actually a catchphrase. Did you know that? It's a catchphrase that appears in, in a variety of contexts. You go, well, like what? Well, for example, it may be employed by the narrators of an American cowboy movie. Right. Meanwhile, back at the ranch or TV shows, and here's what it does. It indicates a segue from one scene to another. You go, well, yeah, that's Captain Obvious. Well, yeah, when we go, well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, we are segueing. But here's what I want you to see. It's a segue from one scene to another, but there is often more than meets the eye. There's more going on. And so what, what, what this catchphrase says is that, okay, now, here's your attention, but meanwhile, there's something else going on over here. And he would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. And you go, Pastor, what's the point? Well, that's exactly what's happening here in John chapter 4. You see, we're going to segue just a little bit from the woman at the well. She had just got saved. Okay? She had a real encounter with Jesus. And Pastor, why why are you saying it like that? Guys, again, remember, we're living in days, we're living in the last days where I think a lot of people will claim Christianity, but they have never had an encounter with Jesus. And so here's this woman at the well. She gets saved for reals. She runs back home, right? She leaves her water pot there. She runs back home. And she's what? In the meantime, the disciples are coming. She probably passes them. Because guess what? They were off in Samaria buying food, but yet there's more than meets the eye. Now, because I haven't been with you in two weeks, let me remind you of what we talked about. John chapter 4, guys, in the book of John, reminds us that Jesus had an appointment with a woman at a well. It was, if you will, her defining moment that this woman will never forget. You go, defining moment? Well, at times I would ask myself, have I had my defining moment? And you go, what does that mean? Well, there are a lot of defining moments in our lives when we get married, when we have kids, when we buy houses, a lot of defining. But the the defining moment is when you had surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happened. And so she has her defining moment and she'll never forget it. Her day started out much like any other day. She avoided the women there in the village. You go, why? Well, she had been a social outcast for quite some time. She had been ridiculed, probably. She had been laughed at. She had been made fun of and even sneered at. So she did what many people do when this happens. You go, what happens? You realize that the woman at the well actually checked out both physically, in a sense, and very emotionally. You know, Pastor, emotionally? How does she check out? Well, listen, as she makes her way to the well, remember, the well she's going to is a lot farther than the wells that she that was closer to her home. She decides to go, listen, I know that, that all of the women in the village go to this well and this well. I'm not going to even bother with that. I'm going to go over here, right? Because emotionally, she's just... And she decides to go just to be safe at the hottest point of the day. The Bible tells us at noon. 
And I started to think about this woman, and I want you to realize that this woman, guys, was bankrupted emotionally. She didn't have anything left. She comes to the well at the hottest part of the day, carrying the jug. And she does that to avoid what? Well, she does that to avoid judgment. She doesn't want to be judged by all the other women in the village. And, and I thought about this, guys. Think about this for just a moment. Broken people will often avoid judgmental people. Broken people will often avoid judgmental people. And we've got to remember that. You go, what does that mean? <sighs> well, even if our broken friends are starting to avoid us, we might be skirting being very judgmental. Well, why do you do that? And why is this happening? Uh, I want you to think about this, church. When I think about being broken and bankrupt emotionally... I was thinking about this rhyme. Do you guys remember Humpty Dumpty, right? Do you all remember that? It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You go, what does that have to do with the woman at the well? Well, Charles Swindoll says the little nursery rhyme was actually written about people. Did you know that? I did not know that. He said it was about broken people who fell off the wall and found themselves smashed. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put them back together again. And so they wrote this nursery rhyme based upon people. And I thought, isn't that really the world we live in? How many broken people do we know? And of course, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put... You see, this woman, guys, in John chapter 4, well, she was broken. She had fallen off the wall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put this woman back together again. That's why we find her in the middle of the afternoon in a well far away from everybody else. But, but we know that the king's horses and we know the king's men couldn't do it. But I want to say this to you. Listen, but we know that God can. Do you know that God can? Why? Well, Jesus shows up at this well. And I love the fact that he asks her for a drink. Right there he is sitting. Hey, guys, go, go buy some food. And, there, and here comes this woman, and she's broken emotionally. She's bankrupt emotionally, and she's, she's struggling with the issues, and she's been a social outcast, and Jesus smiles at her. He says, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? Right? Now, remember the principle, church. If you're taking note, this is so important as we apply God's word. You go, what's that? We have to build a bridge. You go, how so? Well, where are they sitting? They're sitting at a well. What comes out of a well? Water! And so Jesus looks at her and he says, can I have a drink? And you go, why is that important? Well, think about it like this. Here's what I want you to see. What if Jesus is sitting at the well, right? And he says, hey, do you have a bologna sandwich? You know, she might go, excuse me? And just walk away, right? Because he didn't build a bridge. He didn't make a connection. And I think it's important for us to learn this principle, guys, as we build a bridge and then we can, what? Once we build this bridge, then we can segue into the gospel. It's meeting people right where they're at. It's finding out where they're at. Sometimes we're very zealous. I'm going to give the gospel. I'm going to just go tell people about the gospel. I'm gonna, you need Jesus. You know, I mean, all of this stuff. But sometimes we have, to, we have to segue into that. And we might have to talk football for a while. And we might have to talk recipes for a while. And we might have to talk Pinterest for a while. And we might have to talk whatever it might be as we segue into what, what God has put in it on our heart. And if you'll be sensitive to the Spirit, you'll listen for the clues. 
And God says, you know, Jesus says, give me a drink. And notice what the woman says to her back two weeks ago. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, listen, um, let me tell you the gospel. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you living water. And of course, she's like, oh, why were you, how are you going to get this living water? And then Jesus answers the gospel message. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Don't you, don't you just love that? But whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become to him like a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, what happens next is incredible. You go, why? Well, she asks for this living water. Remember, she's like, Jesus, I want that. Give me this water, right? Well, she asks for the living water, but you know what Jesus does? Jesus asks her about her awful, ugly, broken past. You go, what? Yeah, as a matter of fact, the other day I was, I was just fooling around with YouTube and I pulled up John chapter 4, this particular area, and they, this was the Gospel of John in a video form. And, and honestly, I mean, this particular scene, Jesus seemed really just stoic and somber. And he was like, woman, right? And it was just really just, I was just like, wow. And I'm going, no, no, no. I, here, here's what I believe, guys. I believe Jesus, the man of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. I believe with a gentle smile, he tells the woman, go call your husband to come here. Now, here's what I want you to remember, okay? So, so there we are at a well, and Jesus smiles, and he says, hey, um, she's like, give me this water so I don't have to come here and drink ever again. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, go call your husband. I think at this point, guys, we need to remember that this woman represents all of us at, a, at some point in time. And you go, how so? Right now, this woman has two choices. You go, what's that? She can actually blow Jesus off and leave with her water, right? I've had this dialogue. Jesus says, give me a drink. You know, how are you going to get a drink? Living water. Go call your husband. At this point, she has a choice, right? She could go, fine. I'm going to go call him. She can take her water jar and leave. She has that choice. She can avoid the whole situation. You guys tracking with me? That's one choice. Or another choice she can do is she can come clean with the truth and honesty, she can come true, she can come clean. Okay, well, I don't have a husband. Listen, when we are confronted and we are convicted with our sin, I think we have the same choices. You go, what do you mean? Well, we can avoid it and pretend everything's all right. We can do the same thing. Oh, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm just going to walk away. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Here's the problem, church. Listen to me. Here's the problem. Oftentimes from, and I'm not, I'm not the social media basher, but oftentimes from social media, because that's how we look and peer into each other's lives, we see something completely different. We go, oh, wow, what a perfect life. Oh, my goodness. And they're doing this, and they're doing ministry, and oh, my gosh, what amazing. And I wish I was. And then when you find out that things aren't always as they seem, we're kind of freaked out. What? Are you serious? This happened? Why? Well, because nothing is as really as it seems on social media, guys. 
And pastors that should be preaching the word of God, we spent a lot of our time going, don't pay attention to what, what a lot of people are putting because it's, it's not real. And so when we're confronted with sin, we, we can avoid it and pretend it's all right and we can post, hey, everything's good, life is good, my marriage is fantastic until the truth comes out. Or we can, we can be honest and we can come clean and we can stand before Jesus and go, I, I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. See, at this point, the woman at the well, noon, right? Sun shining hot. I mean, just miserable. She's broken, bankrupt. She tells the Lord, um, I have no husband. And Jesus looked at her and he said, you know what? You said, well, I've had no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you truly spoke. Let me give you a nugget. Can I give you a nugget of truth here? Don't you love how Jesus still encourages her even in the midst of pulling out something very painful? Sometimes we feel like we need to speak the truth, but we forget to speak the truth in love. Jesus here goes, oh, thank, yes. You, you know what? As a matter of fact, you've had five husbands and the one and, and the guy you're with, you're living with him. That you, I mean, he's like, he's like encouraging her that she spoke the truth even though it's something very painful to her. I think, what, a, what an amazing thing. Why? The Bible tells us, guys, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. And if you have to speak the truth to somebody, if you have to confront someone, I would recommend you spend some time in prayer, fasting, and then in love, go ahead and, and confront someone. It keeps us from getting angry and upset. Well, Jesus confronts her past then, right? In an effort to protect her broken heart, what does she do? She changes the subject. You guys tracking with me? I mean, that's exactly what we do. And in order to protect our broken heart, listen, you're not going to touch this. That hurts. You are not going down this road. I'm going to talk about, and she talks about, what does she do, guys? She changes the subject, and she says, let's not talk about my past. Let's not even talk about my present. I've had five husbands. The dude I'm living with, we're not even going to talk about that. Hey, I know what we can talk about. Let's talk about religion. You seem like you know a lot of stuff. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to paraphrase. This is my, my paraphrase. Which, what's the best church to attend? Jesus, let's not even talk about my past. Where, where should we go? Should we worship here? Should we, you know, should we carpool to Jerusalem? What's going on, Lord? And that's, she changes the subject. And our Lord, God, guys, responds most lovingly. And he does something that I know that he can do for us if we'll let him. You go, what's that? He heals her broken heart. He begins to touch the deepest part of her wounded heart because in his touch brings healing. Remember, she's emotionally bankrupt. She's made some bad choices. She's said some things. She's walked some ways. And Jesus says, no, 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 let me touch that. And she's probably screaming inside spiritually and emotionally, ow, oh, no, don't, ow, why? Because I don't want my past to be brought up. Listen, I want to live in the now, man. I don't want people to bring up the stuff that I did and didn't do and how I failed and what I thought. But it's in that. Jesus can heal that. Listen, you don't want to f- you don't want to forget your past because that's that's what made you who you are today. Can I get an amen? 
but you don't want to live there, guys. Sometimes we just live there. And the enemy reminds you, you did this. How many of us, the enemy reminds us, you messed up, you're a loser, you can't do anything right. I mean, constantly does that. And so we live in the confines of what we did. And when that's exactly what the world, and Jesus goes, no, 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 let me heal that. Because when I heal it, then the past is done. Let me ask you a question. Why are you remembering the past if I've forgotten it? Why do you keep bringing that up? We have to, we have to own that church. Why? Because when it comes to, when it comes to the past, the, the Lord has forgotten it, wiped it, deleted it, gone. And we keep bringing it up. And we keep serving it before him. God, please forgive me for what I did in 1980. He knows. And he's healed that. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I can't forgive myself because that was... Well, if the Lord has forgiven you, you need to move forward and you need to live and let that go. But, Pastor, I've made some, I made some horrible choices. Listen, she made some horrible choices. And when everybody says, when people say, well, you don't know what, you don't understand, you are, and, and they can give me a list. Listen, guys, let's, let's be honest. They can give me a list of everything that I've done wrong. I get it. I own it. And that's when I turn to the cross and say, well, that's why Jesus died. He didn't die for the perfect. He died because he knew Ben. Oh, Ben. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he looks at all of us and he goes, yep, I need to send my son because that's, I mean, think about it, guys. I want you to, I want you to grasp this. Why? Because there's, so there's so many Christians who, who don't live victorious in their lives because they're so caught up in the past. And right here, Jesus lovingly, lovingly touches it. Ow, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Wow, it feels better. I'm healed. I'm healed. Why? Notice what she does, right? The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus looked at her and said, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one. Well, guess what? She has an encounter with Christ. Verse 28 says, The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out to the city and came to him. Now, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that when she has an encounter with Jesus, that she leaves her water pot there and she goes and the Bible specifically says, and she came to the men of the city. How do you know she's healed? She came to the men of the city. And she said, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Here's, let me let you in a spoiler alert. If she wasn't healed, if she hadn't had an encounter with God, the last place she wants to go is to the men of the city. If she was, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, if she was promiscuous, if she had a reputation, the last place she wants to go is to the men of the city. She didn't want to go there. Why? They all know her. Now she's changed, and she can go to the men of the city. So she runs off to the village. She leaves the water pot. She's fully engaged to Christ. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you go, what does that mean? Well, mean, mean, meaning that 
when she goes back to Samaria, we're going to segue into the disciples coming back from buying food, right? So look at verse 27 with me of John chapter 4. And this point, the disciples came, okay, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. And yet, no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? Right? So you have this segue. You have this segue going on. That here comes this woman and she's like, oh my gosh. And she's running back and they're like, and, and, and they see that Jesus had just talked to her. And they're coming up to the Lord and they're like scratching their head. And, and the Bible tells us this, guys. The Bible says that nobody says, right? Nobody said, what, what are you looking for, woman? Or, or, or what, what, were you, what were you asking Jesus? Or what are you, you know, why are you talking with her? They just marveled. They just marveled. Look at verse 31. That's where we'll pick up our story. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. So meanwhile, back at the ranch or back at this well, his disciples are marveling because number one, they see this woman leaving. They he see this woman having a dialogue with Jesus and now she runs back. And now they're like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Paul, are you going to say anything? I mean, Peter, Peter, are you going to say, John, why don't you say something? No, nobody's going to say anything. But the only thing they do say to him is, Rabbi, eat. Now, I want you to note the dialogue between his disciples and himself. We segued from the woman at the well, but there's also another, there's also a beautiful thing happening here. You go, what's that? Notice what Jesus says. He said to them, I have food. Some of your translations may say meat. I have food to eat which you do not know. Uh, and now, again, think about this, okay? I want you to picture the scene. Right before Jesus sent them into Samaria, right before, he probably was tired. We know that. That's what Scripture says. And he probably was hungry. Why? Well, why else would he send him for food? He's like, listen, it's been a long journey. Why don't you guys go get some food? We'll have some lunch. That'll be good. I'll be right here. And so now they're like, okay. So they go in and they bring some food back. And now they're like, Lord, eat. And he's like, no, you know what? I've had food that you don't even know. And again, they're like, well, wait a minute. You send us to buy food and then we come back, we fix lunch, and we encourage you to eat. And now you're saying you're not hungry anymore. What gives? And that's why they probably asked, look at verse 33. That's probably they asked him. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, right? Has anyone brought him anything to eat. Hey, maybe he ate, did, did, did he eat something else? I mean, did, what's your thought on this, church? The woman that was running away, she might have brought him food. That's what I would think. Right, right? he was hungry, now he's not hungry. Okay, do you, do you, listen, listen. Do you, think, um, do you think maybe she brought him some food? No, she was just getting water. Besides, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. They have no dealings with you. There's no, no. Well, who else could have? You guys with me? Think about it. Here's what's going on. Okay, now I want you to catch the principle. The principle. They haven't learned yet to look past earthly things. They're kind of walking in the now. They haven't looked that something's greater. You go, what do you mean? Well, it was the Apostle Paul who taught us this lesson in Colossians chapter 3. If you're a quick turner, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. If not, just listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it anyway. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. He's writing to the Colossian church, but here's what you need to hear, okay? Verse 1 says, If then, speaking to Christians... 
If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, now I want you to feel the weight. Okay, here's the application, and I want you to take this home. We need to feel the weight of what Paul just told us. You go, what's that? First of all, we need to dissect it this way. He says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, right? How so? He says, if you have been raised to life with him. What's he meaning? What's he talking about? Well, in John chapter 3, we noticed, remember, he told us that in order for us to participate in the kingdom of heaven, that we needed to be born again. That's what's key. That's important. We got to grasp that, church. Why? So many people will simply buy the Christian t-shirt and claim Christianity, but they've never had the born from above encounter with Christ. They've never had it. They'll just be like, yep, went to church all my life. Been there, yep, been a... When did you get saved? Well, I don't know. I don't know, but, you know, I think I've just... I think I've always been a Christian. Well, okay, so when did you have your defining moment? Well, you know, I I think it was third grade, maybe. I mean, they they don't have that. And again, you know, then you'll take a step back and you'll look at the fruit of their lives and you're kind of going, I'm not sure if they're really... if they've really had an encounter with Jesus. And so Paul writes to you and I and he says, make sure, have you been raised to life with him? Do you understand that your sins are forgiven and you've been raised to new life? You go, I have. I've been born again. You don't understand. I've had this encounter. It's amazing. And God came in my life and I'm telling you what. And for some of us, we felt this an emotional thing and we just cried and we wept and we're just like, oh my gosh. And you knew you were cleansed. For other of us, we just sat there and we had that, just that look like, okay. I'm I'm, I'm in. I feel it. God is doing something. And your whole life has changed. Your whole thinking has changed. And so again, Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, what should we do? He says, then seek. If you have a pencil handy, here's what that word means. He says, if you and I are to seek, we are to worship, desire, endeavor. Those are the things we should do. We should pursue hard. What are we supposed to pursue, pastor? Things which are above. Heavenly things, spiritual things. As followers of Jesus Christ, guys, think about this. We need to set our mind on things above, not on the things of earth. We are to be walking around heavenly minded. Well, I've had some people say to me, you don't want to be too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. To which I say to them, when you're heavenly minded, then you're earthly good. When you're thinking of Jesus and you're thinking of the outcome and you're thinking of of how he moves and how he walks and and you're worshiping him and you're pursuing him, I'm telling you what, everything on earth you touch is affected by that. We have the temporal. We have things that we can accomplish right here without eternal significance. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know what I'm talking about? We got, we've got stuff here. The Lord tells us as believers, we have our minds. We understand that there's an eternal picture. And part of that eternal picture, 
something might ha- not happen here, right? But eternally something's going on. Eternally something is going on. There are times in our lives, church, when we have to look past earthly things and focus on what God is doing on the eternal. On the eternal. You go, why? The disciples just said, well, we went for food. What are they thinking, guys? They're thinking physical food. They're thinking food. They're thinking food. Jesus, did you eat? I had food. They're thinking food. Jesus is trying to teach them a principle on to think on earthly things. And you go, well, why? Why should I focus on heavenly things? Well, Paul tells us. He says, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you realize that you died? I don't know if you knew that. The old person died. The old you, when you gave your life, that old person died. And, and he says, and now your life is hidden in Christ. And that's why you should be thinking differently. And the question would be, guys, you'd have to look back in your life and you go, am I thinking differently? Am I thinking differently than I did? Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is the real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God and he is your life. So he wants to teach us, guys, that we need to be focused. That not everything we see is not always what it is. Why? Because we have a Heavenly Father working in the background for eternal. You go, how so? How can you? I was talking to Santos yesterday in my office, and I said, see, Santos, Santos, you, you may not know this, but Santos and his family visited our church many, many years ago. And he was invited by his dad, and, and his whole family came in, and they sat down right there, and I think they visited for two or three Sundays. And, you know, then the following Sunday, they, you know, they, they weren't here, and, and so you kind of go, hey, whatever happened to, you know, Santos, where, where's your son? Well, I invite him, but I don't know. And we sort of left it at that. At that point, looking at the temporal, I could say, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe Calvary wasn't the place for him. Maybe, and we could think of all sort of things, but I've got to be honest with you, God was working in the background. He was working in the background, and he said, okay. And he took a step back, and it was about a year or so or two. I don't even know how long it was. And God worked. And, and you, let, let me just say this to you, okay? Shameless plug here. Did you realize that, that, that Santos was listening to me on the radio at 5 o'clock every single day for like two months? You go, why is that a shameless plug? Guys, listen, when we get the gospel out, it's working even when we don't even see it. Pastor, we're not getting any phone calls. They're listening. And then God did an amazing work, and he brought that family. And I mean, we're just sitting here, and we're just like, we're just, we give all God honor and glory because of what he's doing. Do you see what's going on here? The disciples are thinking bread. Jesus is going, no, 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 there's more. There's more, right? You go, how so? Well, back in John, look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, right? So that's what Jesus tells them. And they're going, um... What? 
Jesus defines food to answer their question. First, he says, it's to do the will of God. And second, it's to finish his work. So Jesus goes, listen, um, my food, you didn't see it, right? You didn't see it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. How, what are you eating? He says, my, my food is different than yours. Well, does that mean that Jesus didn't eat? No, I bet, I bet he did eat. Why? Because he was fully human. He got hungry, he got tired. But he wanted to teach us the principle that we need to learn. You go, what's that? Well, our question would be at this point in our study, well, what is the Father's work? I mean, what is the Father's work? What are we supposed to be doing? And he gives that to us in John chapter 6, 38 through 40. Now, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just on this verse so you can kind of get a glimpse. It says this, For I have come down from heaven, Jesus says, to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose one, even one, of all those he has given me, and that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Do you guys get that? Here's the Father's work. Jesus says, this is it. He says, I come down the work of the the work of the father is real simple to do god's will to do god's will and he says and 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 here's the here's the will of god i'm not going to lose not a one of us who have who have seen me and believe in me and have eternal life i'm not going to lose a one of us So the food that he's talking about that, right? The food is he's talking about doing the Lord's will. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. A lot of theologians will say that he went through Samaria just for the woman at the well. And to that I say, amen. But he's, he's far, right? The, 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 spiritual, the spiritual principle is far greater. Why? Notice what he says in verse 35, church. He says, do you not say... There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white with harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for the eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors, right? So what's the food? The food is doing the will of the Father in the mission field. And what Jesus tells his disciples and he tells us, you ready? He says, listen, you might say four months and the harvest is coming, but here's what he says. He says, No, guys, the world is ripe and waiting for you to go out into it. We had Pastor Bill Gem here on Thursday night for the men's uh, uh, gathering, and, and, and the one thing he exhorted us to do was go. Go out into the field. And so Jesus is pointing, he's going, now listen, about this time, I bet, now picture the scene, okay? He's telling his disciples, he's saying, listen, you guys say that four months, but he says, but listen, it's, it's ready, it's ripe. The harvest is ready. You need to go into the world. And I bet they're looking and they see a group of people coming from Samaria. And he's saying, they're, they're ready. The harvest is ready. 
And he says, now listen, we have both sowers and reapers working together. Sowers and reapers. Do you realize that the person that you've been praying for and sharing, you're sowing? Pastor Ben, you don't understand. I'm, they're so close. They're so close to getting saved. And I keep sharing Jesus, and they're so close. And all of a sudden, you invite them to church. The pastor gets up and goes, hey, how many of you want to give your life to Jesus? And they're like, I do. And they come forward. Listen, we're partnering together. We need to understand that. We're partnering. Some of you are planting seeds and then somebody else are watering, but God is the one who brings the increase. That's what I, I go to the, guys, listen, I go to these churches and, 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 and I love my brothers and I love these churches, but, but we're so weak in giving an invitation that when I get there and I say, listen, I'm going to give an invitation, we've had, we've, I've had 30 or 40 or 50 people lined up in front and they're wanting to get saved. And you go, how does that happen? those pastors have been diligently planting seeds. I just come in and reap. Are you serious? Yeah. And so it's amazing how God says this. He says, and I've sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Now, notice what it says. I want, you to sh- I want to show you something real quick and then we'll move on. He says, notice the past tense. I, verse 38, I... I sent you to reap that which you... It's past tense, right? Why? Because the disciples had already had a taste of this food before, only they missed it. They're thinking physical. God had a spiritual principle. Why? Well, listen to this. Matthew 10, Matthew chapter 10, 5 through 14. It says this. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bags for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire, who is it? is worthy and stay there until you go out and when you go into the household greet it and if the household is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it's not worthy let your peace return to you and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that city that house or that city shake off the dust from your feet jesus is telling him guys you've already experienced what i'm trying to teach you now listen 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 God's already let us experience what he's trying to teach us. There's times that you've already been doing the will of the Father. You've already been doing it. And so when Jesus goes, hey, my food, you know, my food is to do the will and to finish his work, we all go, amen, I'm part of that work. I'm part of that work. Why? Well, it's not necessarily going into another city, but it's the people you work with. Can I tell you that if you show the love of Jesus to another fellow human being, you're doing the will of the Father? The love of Jesus. What does that mean, the love of Jesus? A lot of that means, church, listen, a lot of that means is that that we're loving people back to life. We're not judging them. But it also means, guys, is that we're, 
we're not selfish. We're giving of ourselves, we're giving of our money, we're giving of our time, and we're giving of our talents. It's about just, listen, nothing belongs to me. Give it away. Just give it away. I wish we had more time to talk about this. Well, while he's talking, right, while this conversation is ending, look who's coming back. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things I ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to Jesus, guess what they did? They urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, okay, now they're speaking to her. Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, I want to just share something real quick, and I'm going to close, okay? They said, we believed in Jesus. Notice, we believe ourselves. We have heard of him, and we know. That word know there is very interesting. I would think it would be the know of experience, but they haven't experienced Jesus, have they? They didn't know anything about him. And it's an actual other Greek word that actually means I've heard of someone else's testimony, and I found it to be true. You go, what does that mean? Guys, think about it. Your food is to do the will of the Father. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's your food. I'm not talking about physical food, okay? I'm talking about being heavenly minded. That's your food. To do the will and to finish his work. You go, okay. Sometimes that means your testimony, who you are, who Christ is in you, is going to speak so much volumes that factually, people are going to get saved. Because they haven't experienced that. They've actually experienced the opposite. And so they start looking, and they start fact-checking. Wait wait a minute, right? How many of us, I mean, and, and think about it, how many of us have our, our old friends we run into and say, hey, what are you up to these days? And they think we're going to be a drug dealer, a pool shark, whatever it might be, right? And how many of them look at us and go, you did, you're a what? You're a what? And they, you know they have a look like, what? See, for me, I wasn't real religious in high school. I mean, I got saved at 17. And so a lot of my friends, I mean, seriously, even on, on Facebook from, from my hometown are like, you're a what? Oh, I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? Listen, if I was going to vote back in high school, I would have never voted you to be any type of religious kind of guy or anything, you know? but they see our testimony. Whose testimony did they see? They heard the woman. Come see a man that told me all things I've ever did. Come and see. Could this be the Christ? And isn't that our testimony? Uh, What happened? I don't know. Well, where did it happen? It happened in my house. What did you do? Gave my life to Jesus. And then what happened? I don't know. My life was changed. And everything's different. And I think differently. Has that happened to you? I'm not sure. Let me close with this, guys. Let me, let me close with this example of food, right? The Father's work. This woman had done nothing 
but report. In fact, even the disciples hadn't even been sent there. They just went in to buy food, right? But the Samaritan harvest was ready and it brought great joy. I want to leave you with five important points, okay? Five. If you're taking note, jot these down. Number one, doing God's work is spiritually fulfilling and better than anything earthly. Doing God's work, guys, is amazing, and it's far better than anything that you could get on earth. Number two, the harvest is everywhere, even places we don't expect. The harvest is everywhere. Point number three, successes and failures are not measured in numbers, but in obedience. In obedience. Pastor, I've failed so many times. That's okay. It's not measured on how many people come. It's measured on, uh, am I being obedient to the Lord? Number four, God's work may seem slow to the sowers, but he accomplishes all he desires. God, why are we not growing? Why are we not doing this? Yet he's desiring and he's doing far more than we can remember. You go, you need a scripture reference real quick. Moses, do you remember Moses? Right? How long was he out of Egypt? It took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses before he got the Israelites out of Egypt. So it may seem slow. You go, what does that mean? God builds the men before he builds the church. Number five. The gospel is all about Christ. It's not about personalities or personal testimonies. The gospel is all about Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word, and we love you. We thank you, God, that meanwhile, back at the ranch... You're teaching us a beautiful principle that we need to be heavenly minded and that everything we see doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be here for the temporal, but you're working it for the eternal. And I thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, because our heart's desire is that everyone should have an encounter with Jesus, should be born again. My heart is that every service I would offer an invitation for anyone who might, might be ripe and ready for salvation. So, Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would move. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, is, you might be here this morning and you feel like you're exactly like the woman at the well. You feel a million miles away from God right now. You feel broken and bankrupt. Outside, you're smiling and you're bubbles and you're happy. But inside, you could be breaking down and nobody knows except God. And he brought you here today to say that he loves you. And that he's asking you to surrender your heart to him. And you've been running from God and... 
and you've been avoiding the issues and you've been changing the subject, but you're here today. And so I'm asking if you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with God, but you want to be, you want to join the family of God, you want to surrender your life today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply lift your hand. Pastor, why do I have to lift my hand? Well, first of all, nobody's going to see, but God will see, and God will see that you're serious. And if you lift up your hand, here's what you're saying to Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I'm broken and bankrupt, and I need you. I want you to come into my heart, and I want to be saved. I want to join the family of God. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of playing church, but I want Jesus. And without, without you, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nowhere. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, remember God brought you here today for a reason. He has a plan for you and he has a purpose. But you have to surrender. There has to be the joy of obedience saying, yes, Lord. So if you're here today and you're going, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I want Jesus. Will you just lift up your hand real quick so I can pray for you? You know you're not in a right relationship with God, but you want to be. That's what you're doing. You're saying, Pastor, right now, pray, pray for me. And all you have to do is lift up your hand so I can see you and I'll pray for you. No one else has to see you, but God will see you. Is there anyone who feels like that right now that wants to surrender their, your life to Jesus once and for all? He followed you all the way to church and he's been sitting beside you and he's knocking at your heart and he's saying, I want to come in. I want to forgive you of your past, your present, and your future. I want to walk with you each and every day. Would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? One, one last time, I just want to give you an opportunity. Please don't leave here. Please don't leave here. Listen to the sound of my voice. Please don't leave here until you're right with Jesus. All you got to do is just lift your hand. God will see. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for your great love. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.